Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That is a special instant reaction edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again with a special Wednesday episode for you as we not only break down the latest in the world of NXT, but cover some major breaking news that dropped just a couple hours before this show that Mandy Rose, the NXT Women's Champion for 413 days, has been released by WWE 14 hours after dropping that title. Now, we are not going to waste any time talking about that. We need to first break down what happened Tuesday night on NXT that led to Mandy losing the title and then opened the door for her release. We'll also need to discuss the reason for the release and whether WWE was in the right making that ultimate decision. All of that coming up shortly, quickly. A reminder that this show, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, is so please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings for us on Apple. Also leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show. Tell them why you listen and why they should subscribe. And if you do, if you leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for news analysis, both during shows and separate, uh, you know, funny stuff, drops, gifts. It's the opportunity for you to write into the show with tweets and DMs that we will read on the air. My point is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for every reason I just laid out. Okay, with all of that out of the way, let's get immediately into what happened on NXT and the release of Mandy Rose. Now, Roxanne Perez opened NXT really excited when Grayson Waller pulled up in a yellow Hummer honking his horn that interrupted her and stealing the spotlight from her until she pushed back at him and actually stood up for herself on the mic. So it was a big moment for her on the mic. Waller said it's his ticket to the top, the Iron Survivor Challenge being the winner of that for the men, while Perez probably peaked at 21 because she's just never going to beat Mandy Rose for the title. Braun Breaker came out and got Roxy's back, putting her over for actually going the full 25 minutes in the match, unlike Waller, who did not. Waller talked back, Breaker chased him out of the building, and then Mandy attacked Roxy from behind with her title and stood over her. So this was a pretty fun segment, I thought, seeing the divisions interact while getting both champions and the Iron Survivors on TV right away. Seeing Braun come out for Roxy was particularly fun because he's actually dating Cora Jade in reality. So that was just, you know, a little fun chemistry that it seemed like they had together. Uh, Waller also was great again as that shit eater. By the way, the guy's 32, maybe the oldest quote-unquote prospect in NXT right now. I would not be surprised if he gets called up soon after presumably losing his match against Braun Breaker. Now, it seemed like this segment was over, but suddenly we heard Perez call out Rose while a different backstage confrontation was concluding. So cameras flipped back to the ring. Roxy said Mandy's not a bad bitch, and she didn't want to wait until New Year's Evil for her title match. She wanted it that night, and Mandy Rose accepted. Now, let me be clear. I'm going to provide analysis from now until we talk about the end of this segment, and it is live analysis. It's what I thought was happening as NXT was progressing through the show, as I was watching it 
on television. Now, obviously, I learned a lot more stuff after NXT went off the air. But I just want you to put in context everything I'm about to say, because it's how I felt live in the moment. And obviously, knowing more now, my opinions are better formed, and I will discuss those a little bit later. So anyway, going back to what happened. Seeing Roxy demand the title opportunity right away, it was strange in the moment, because we've already seen her do this before with the breakout contract. She rushed the challenge, wasted the opportunity. So for her to potentially make the same mistake a second time, I mean, that seemed like ultra dumb babyface shit. My hope going into the match, because I did not think they would do a title change on TV, was there would be some shenanigans and either it never starts or it directly leads to a rematch. So that was my mindset going into the main event, which was the NXT Women's Championship on the line, Mandy Rose against Roxanne Perez. So Roxy went on a hot run early with a tope suicida. Mandy avoided Pop Rocks at ringside and threw Roxanne into the steel steps. Rose countered Perez into a cross face that was broken by a pin attempt. She followed by drilling Roxy with Kissed by a Rose for a 2.8 false finish. Mandy argued with the referee, but a glam slam attempt failed as Perez countered it into like a small package inside Cradle. When they stood, Perez immediately kicked Mandy in the gut and hit Pop Rocks to win the NXT Women's Championship in nine minutes. She immediately celebrated on the stage, streamers went off, and Rose was just furious in the ring watching. And then we later saw, after the show went off the air, she got a standing ovation from the crowd as she walked out. And I believe the crowd in that moment made the assumption that she was done with the territory and moving on to the main roster. Now, my immediate thought seeing this transpire was, holy shit, this was an unceremonious conclusion to a 413-day title reign, the third longest ever for a woman in NXT. Consider the circumstances, right? They promoted the title match already for New Year's Evil, only to turn around and hold it 72 hours after deadline, a full month early. And then they went through with the title change. And then you have Mandy, who has beaten everyone in NXT, including Alba Fire three times, while being elevated from nothing all the way to the most something that they have over a period of 14 months, she loses to a 21-year-old in nine minutes. And it happens without them spending any time telling the story of the last time Roxanne had a title contract opportunity, how she failed, working her way back to this. There's no story. It's literally just she won it 72 hours ago, and now she's the NXT Women's Champion. Now, anyone who listens to this show knows I've wanted nothing more from NXT than to see Mandy lose this title. Not because I don't like her or didn't think she was improving, but it was so long overdue. But this felt like such a lackluster way to accomplish it. And that's why I immediately... And that's why I immediately believed in the moment there had to be some extenuating circumstance that pushed this title change up. An injury, a personal matter, something. I just could not accept Tuesday night that Mandy held this title for 14 months only to drop it like this. It would have been absolute booking malpractice if this was like the plan for her dropping the title. So I took to Twitter and I said basically the same thing. And a few of you were quick to inform me of something that had apparently gone completely over my head the 48 hours prior. And that is that Mandy Rose 
had a personal fan time page, basically an OnlyFans equivalent, where she was posting mostly PG-13, you know, racy photos for a while, photos and videos. You know, like lingerie, nude photos, but where everything is covered so you don't actually see anything, stuff like that. Well, apparently, her content started drastically pushing the boundaries with nudes, simulated intercourse, perhaps even real intercourse. She was also, how do I put this? She was uh, rating pictures of fans' junk, if that makes sense. And clearly, the final boundary that she pushed was that of her employment with WWE, because in reaction to some of this new content, they not only pushed up the title change by at least a month, that's assuming Roxanne Perez was going to be the one to actually dethrone Mandy Rose at New Year's Evil. So they not only pushed it up a month, they released Mandy Rose entirely on Wednesday. So that obviously leaves a lot for us to unpack out of this situation. Let's first tackle a little bit of reporting that I can do. A WWE source tells me that this was not purely a reactionary decision. Instead, it was actually one that came after she had previously been warned, spoken to, whatever you want to call it, not to go beyond a certain point in posting content that she was on this fan time account. That had already crossed the line at least once. She claimed to them that it was accidental or not on purpose, or maybe she didn't realize, whatever the case. And they said, okay, just don't let it happen again. And then the content that was spread around this weekend was simply the last straw. WWE felt its hands were tied And the latter part of that lines up with what Fightful reported Wednesday. They, Sean Ross Sapp, were the first ones to report that Mandy Rose was released by WWE. And that brings us to this point. Mandy Rose released Mandy Rose. In other words, she knew she was pushing a boundary and chose to step over it, either aware of the consequences, perhaps expecting WWE would not go through with releasing her, or thinking that it wouldn't get out what she was doing. PG-13 content is one thing, but being part of a public-facing media company that is publicly traded, being in a role as one of the primary faces of the company, at least of the developmental brand, you not only have to follow the rules, but you have to be an example for the rest of the roster. There's a reason why people like John Cena, Becky Lynch, Roman Reigns are in the positions that they have been in. Their responsibility goes beyond being a good wrestler. Let's not forget, WWE invested 14 months into turning Mandy's career around, despite being over with that Otis storyline and the people liking her with Sonya Deville at least a little bit. She was horrendous in the ring on the main roster. She could not cut a promo for her life She would have sank if put in a sink or swim position. Going back to NXT, she got the main championship. She got a group of her own almost immediately. And they were allowed to dominate this brand through not one, but two periods of transition. That's how much WWE wanted her to succeed. And I say that because there's already a lot of bullshit that I'm seeing fly around on the IWC And folks, it is truly mind-numbing to read. Like, it's almost to the point of like our political discourse here in the United States, where people don't use like fact, logic, and reason 
when coming up with the bullshit that they spew. So let me dispel some of this horse crap, which basically centers around the concept that WWE is hypocritical for releasing Mandy Rose. There's the idea that WWE had its divas do Playboy, so they should be fine with this. First of all, that happened a quarter century ago, literally 25 years. The country and WWE itself, let alone the world, are in completely different places now in 2022 in reality. And if you don't see that, you're completely blind. Beyond that, WWE was a privately held company then. Now it is public. Its ratings are PG, not TV-14 or TV-MA. I saw some people suggesting, well, WWE let some of their divas do Maxim and all this stuff, and that was only 10 or 12 years ago. Okay, and I was a Maxim subscriber as a teenager and young adult. Maxim was bikinis and lingerie, not nudity, and certainly not beyond nudity, at least here in the United States. I know in England and Europe, perhaps those magazines are a little bit different, but that's besides the point. There's also this idea being perpetrated that WWE, they kept Xavier Woods and Paige employed after what happened to them a decade ago, so they should have no issue with what Mandy's doing. What happened to Paige and Woods was the result of a hacking. It was a leak. It was done against their will, and it was illegal. They were victims. What Mandy's doing here is of her own volition. After signing a contract with WWE, where it was explicitly laid out that she is not allowed to do such things, the situations are not analogous. They're not even close to comparable. And then there's this idea that Athena claimed in an interview, apparently, that WWE told her to be sexier like Mandy, and therefore, it makes no sense that they're firing Mandy for being sexy. I can't even wrap my head around this one. First of all, if we take Athena at her word, and we should, those comments were made during a completely different regime. Clearly, there has been a sea change in WWE, with two men in particular, Vince McMahon and Johnny Ace, out of the company. Beyond that, even if, let's say, if WWE Today was actively telling female superstars to be sexy, which they are not, being sexy is completely different from posting R-rated and beyond content outside of the WWE sphere, out on your own volition, and charging people for it, rating people's junk, and doing many of the things I already discussed on this show. So as far as I'm concerned, these are completely hollow arguments. None of them based in any reality, not using logic or reason. Now, I have no doubt that Mandy was making bank from this fan time thing, and that's great for her. And if she chooses or chose that over wrestling, I'm certainly not gonna blame her, nor am I going to suggest that what she's doing is wrong. It's her life, it's her body. She can do whatever she chooses. But what I will take issue with is doing it while not only under WWE contract, but having been specifically instructed not to do certain things. If she wanted to leave wrestling or have it both ways, fine. Give WWE the chance to take the title off of you and ask for your release. Or if you did this to get released, at least have enough decency and respect to do it when the title is off of you. Out of respect for your coworkers, even out of respect for WWE, elevating your celebrity to the point that you can make a living from posting pictures and videos like that. So no, I don't particularly feel any sympathy for Mandy, given the circumstances. I don't like when anyone loses their job, 
but you don't put your hand on a hot stove and expect it to be room temperature. You don't fight with a tiger and expect to live. And you don't knowingly breach a contract after being spoken to about your actions and expect to remain employed. That's just not how life or business works. Now, regarding Mandy's time with WWE from a wrestling standpoint, I'm going to look back on her as having achieved success in NXT and being, I would say, a relative blip on the main roster. She dominated NXT during a key transition period for the brand. She largely did well at that. She improved her wrestling and her mic work, her character work. She was much more believable. She became a better overall performer. And Toxic Attraction as a whole was entertaining and a valuable group to WWE. At the same time, do I feel like WWE is losing anything significant by releasing Mandy? Not really. Her reign in NXT went too long. It took time from valuable performers who should have already been elevated to or around her spot. Now, if she was headed to the main roster, she would have been upper mid-card with a lower mid-card floor. And, you know, that's fine. It's nice to have that there. But not having her around, I mean, it's unfortunate. But WWE is going to be completely unaffected by it, really more than anything. My hope is that Gigi Dolan and JC Jane retain the Toxic Attraction name because it's a good name. And they get called up to the main roster as a feature of the tag team division. They're two fresh faces. They would do really well up there. They were also elevated during this time period alongside Mandy Rose. I wish them the absolute best. And they could even put them with Sonya Deville, have Deville be the leader of Toxic Attraction, and pretty much do the same thing with a wrestler who's better on the mic and better in the ring. Perhaps not a conventional, quote-unquote, sexy, right? In terms of like the aesthetic that Mandy Rose was trying to portray as a model and a fitness persona or whatever, but that's not necessary to lead this group or any group. And Sonya Deville, I mean, she has plenty of great things going for her in every department. I'm not going to, you know, comment on looks or attitude or, or anything like that, but she has, she's the entire package, I think. I always have thought that. I'm not necessarily saying that Sonya Deville is going to go out and be a SmackDown or Raw Women's Champion. You know, perhaps her ceiling is upper mid-card, but she is a valuable television character. She proved that during her authority run. Uh, she looks great. She wrestles well. She speaks well. Everything about her is made for the main roster. So I would put them all together, and I think they would have a tremendous time, uh, not just working together, but getting over as heels. I think it would completely work. So I don't know that they're going to do that, of course, with Toxic Attraction or with Sonya Deville. But if I had my two, if I had my say, if they were going to listen to me, uh, if anyone's listening right now, put them together, bring them up, and you got a nice faction. So go ahead and do that. Now, going back to NXT and what actually happened Tuesday, the reasoning for the hotshot title change now, of course, makes complete sense. Before knowing Mandy would be released, when I thought it was just going to be maybe a suspension or a punishment, I thought that the change still could have been executed better. For example, having the opening segment only be about the women, with Mandy and Roxy like really getting into it on the mic, making up for the lack of build by forcing Roxy to really work from under, multiple false finishes, a 15-minute match, build the fan support behind her so the victory felt monumental rather than happenstance. Maybe even have the faces come out to the ring to lift her on their shoulders after she wins it, just like they did with Rhea Ripley a few years ago when she finally climbed the mountaintop. I believe that was on the last NXT of the year, so a very similar time frame as well. And I still think some of that could have been executed, particularly the last part 
of like all the other faces, all the people who've been victimized by Mandy Rose rallying around Roxanne Perez and, you know, claiming her and, and picking her up and praising her as the new champion, the one who finally slayed the beast. But given Mandy was being released, making her look super strong and having the match go 15 minutes, maybe that would have been counter to the point, which was just to make the title change as quickly as possible and move on from the entire thing. You know, we criticized to some degree WWE putting the title on Roxanne Perez, given she's 21, she's super over, she doesn't need it. But that's part of the reason why it doesn't matter that it wasn't some monumental moment for her because she's 21 and she's gonna have a lot more title reigns if she keeps going on the trajectory that she's going right now. And this one, it'll be ultimately remembered that she ended Mandy Rose's 413 day reign. And people aren't gonna remember that it was a nine minute match or it was unceremonious or anything like that. And look, none of this is to say there aren't positives here. You know, Mandy is no longer champion. The NXT women's division needed that badly. Roxy is now the champion, totally well-deserved after a super strong rookie year. It is absolutely wild that she started 2022 as ROH champion and is gonna end it as NXT champion. Even if I thought a veteran should have been the one to take the title off of Mandy, and who knows if the plan would have changed if it was gonna be New Year's Evil with Roxy or they were gonna have her actually lose and build to Indy Hartwell in a few months at Stand and Deliver. You know, who knows? Regardless of whatever the plan was, Roxy's win was strong. She's easily the biggest female babyface they have, and she took down the top heel in squeaky clean fashion. That's exactly how a long-term reign by a heel is supposed to end. There's no questioning. Roxy was just as good, if not the best person, to beat Mandy Rose. But you could even see from the crowd how shocking it came off. Generally, you want the crowd to have an inkling going into a match that it's possible the title may change. And then you grow that sentiment as the match progresses. But okay, going back to the positives. It was great to hear Booker T on commentary sounding like a proud father. There's a huge group of heels on NXT for Roxy to work against. There were far fewer faces left for Mandy. This is the reset that the NXT women's division needed. And no matter how it transpired, it is ultimately a positive outcome for NXT itself. One final note before we move on. Roxy at this point, may need to be the front runner for Rookie of the Year. She has held the top title for two brands, wrestled on the main roster, won the tag team titles. She went 2-0 at premium live events, became the first female Iron Survivor ever. I mean, that's gonna be incredibly difficult to match, male or female. She's also the second youngest person to ever win an NXT title, at least in the United States. She was three months older than Paige. And Paige won it at uh, 20 years and 10 months, and Roxanne won it at 21 years and one month old. The only other person who's younger than them who you could make an argument for winning an NXT title would have been Tyler Bate, who won the UK championship at age 19. But back then, it was the WWE UK championship and it did not change until NXT, until I think Pete Dunne had it or perhaps after Pete Dunne dropped it. So I always consider him as a WWE champion, uh, one of the youngest, if not the youngest WWE champion ever, whereas or WWE main roster type of, you know, title champion. Uh, whereas, of course, here it's purely NXT and there's really no argument. So for me, it's Paige, Roxanne Perez, and that is quite good company to be part of. So that's really the wrap up on Mandy Rose's release, Roxanne Perez's championship win. And we'll certainly address it further if more information comes out or on next week's show when we see 
how the beginnings of Roxanne's title reign uh, kick off. Uh, I do have a DM before we move on. Adam McMonagle at AdamMick314. He said, just curious the thoughts on Booker T on commentary. Personally, I think he's been flat out bad and he can't seem to figure out if he's face or heel depending on the match. So look, there's three types of color commentators. There's your pure heel. There's the wrestling analysis guy, the smartest guy in the room. And then there's the fun guy. Booker T is the fun guy, okay? I was not fun guy, but fun guy. Uh, I was extremely pessimistic about him joining NXT because Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett were such a great team. And Booker, yes, he can be grading. But for me, he's been a breath of fresh air. I find him hilarious. He's very much the Jerry the King Lawler, you know, in that vein of he can be a face, he can be a heel, but he's always gonna try and be funny. Now, in terms of what you're talking about with him being more of a heel recently, he's acting that way in contrast to Kofi Kingston because he doesn't want Kofi to have his records. He's not being a heel. He just doesn't like that Kofi is kind of usurping his throne with the tag team records. With Roxy, he's a babyface because he's literally her trainer. He trained her at Reality of Wrestling. So he couldn't be happier for her. With everyone else in the company, he's basically a face. So I don't really see what the issue is. Booker actually cares about developing talent. It's literally the business he's in. And he's quickly learned as much as he possibly can about the NXT roster and storylines. He's certainly not maybe the best option for the seat, but he's already had some incredible moments in the chair. I find him far more entertaining than if we had another Corey Graves in that seat. NXT is a younger show. He brings a veteran presence and a notable one at that. This guy's a two-time Hall of Famer. He's knowledgeable. He's fun. He can relate things that are happening in the ring to things that he either witnessed or that happened during his career. And he seems to really get along with Vic Joseph. So Booker's won me over. People need to give him a break. I don't really understand the hate for him. Yes, I, I do understand he's not sitting there calling every single move and just putting over the strong workers. That's not all wrestling commentary is about, okay? If you want that, you know, go watch another company. NXT is a developmental brand. He's trying to get over the characters. He's trying to get you excited about watching the matches and people that you perhaps don't even know yet. And to me, he's succeeding at doing that. Uh, now let's, at this point, talk about everything else that happened on NXT this week. Fallon Henley backstage was upset that her father was undergoing financial trouble uh, when all of a sudden Jensen was focused on how well his new shirt fit, just in case Kiana James saw him. Briggs came up saying 2023 would be their year, and that's really all we got from that segment. Later backstage, James approached Jensen and let it slip that Henley was having problems with the bar. Jensen let it slip, I should say. Uh, then she gave him a nice dress shirt, that fits him, she said. As a Christmas gift, she was able to guess his size just by looking at him. I thought this was kind of a solid development of the story that they've been telling, with James basically honeypotting Jensen to get the bar and the property that she wants from Henley. So clearly, this is going to play out, and you wonder, is it one of those situations like a, you know, classic 90s romantic love story where she's playing him, and then he realizes he loves Henley, and they get together, and they fight, figure out a way to stop Kiana James. You know, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but for a mid-card storyline, it could be worse. And, I, and this is coming from someone who doesn't even like the Kiana James character, despite Kiana herself getting a lot of respect for me at NXT Deadline for what she did in that Iron Survivor Challenge match. So going to the ring, New Day got a tag team championship celebration. They celebrated being Triple Crown champions and Kofi Kingston being the only superstar to do it as a singles performer and a tag partner. They also celebrated Kofi having the most tag team title wins ever at 15. And this is where Booker T was a heel because he was protesting on commentary. He's like, no, that's shit. I got 16. You didn't take it from me. That's not true. But 
clearly in WWE parlance, or at least in their record books, it is. Uh, and then they also recognized Woods as having the first NXT match and being the first NXT graduate, only to now come back and win a title. Pretty Deadly came out angry that New Day ruined Christmas by taking their championships. This led to a Santa chant for a dude who was literally dressed up as Santa in the crowd. New Day were quick to accept a rematch offer with Kofi putting over Pretty Deadly, but Woods demanding that they only will get the rematch if they recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Briggs and Jensen entered with an American flag, ready to do it, with New Day granting them the title match and urging Pretty Deadly to get with the program and do what they say if they want a rematch. This just felt like a strange end to what was on its way to being a really good segment. I saw some people rolling their eyes at this and really missing the point here, that New Day were making fun of Pretty Deadly for being losers, and how England has just lost a bunch of stuff recently, namely the World Cup, where they hoped to advance way further than they did, unlike the United States, where we certainly hoped to get further, but most people figured we'd lose in the quarterfinals. This wasn't a pro-America segment. Like I saw some people saying, it wasn't meant to be this patriotic segment just because they said the Pledge of Allegiance, but rather New Day finding a way to poke at and annoy pretty deadly. I don't understand how people don't see these things. Now, all of that said, if you want to ask me, well, Silver King, why the hell didn't they come up with something better? Well, that's a fair question, okay? Uh, Because they are more creative and WWE or NXT creative is more creative than just doing what they did. You know, I thought it would be a more exciting first appearance on NXT after winning their championships, but at least it seems like they're going to be on the show frequently, consistently, until they drop the straps. The NXT crowd was all about New Day. They seemed legitimately happy to be there playing off of them. It felt like second nature, you could tell. So all in all, it was a very entertaining segment. But no, it was not meant to be this patriotic segment. It was New Day finding a way to poke fun of Pretty Deadly without going after the metrosexual vibes or their looks or you know their proclivities or whatever the case might be. They poked fun at the fact that England has lost a lot lately. They lost the NXT Tag Team Championships and they also lost a World Cup match that people expected them to win. That was the point. Please understand that. Uh, JD McDonough was being evaluated by a trainer, but he cut him off and called out his own diagnosis. Basically, he's banged up and bruised, uh, but he is cleared. I love that because, you know, I've been giving this JD McDonough character a lot of shit, but like this whole deal where like he knows what's going on with someone else's injuries, he's able to diagnose himself because he's so smart and understanding physiology and stuff that he doesn't need a doctor to tell him. It really did fit. It did fit within the character itself. So I was all about it. Uh, Julius Creed went to check in when JD called him out for being back in the training room. The Creed brothers obviously got upset that JD tried to take out Julius's knee previously. So Brutus challenged him one on one. So he got Brutus against JD. Brutus did a standing release German suplex. McDonough PK'd both Creeds. When he went to use the chair on Brutus, Sanga appeared and pulled it out of his hands. JD hit Devil inside twice, both outside and inside the ring on Brutus for the win. Now, one kick taking out Julius I thought was odd, but Brutus taking two finishers before losing, that kept him strong. And we got some consistent storytelling with Indusher ensuring the Creeds stay as healthy as they possibly can. So solid stuff there. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams were looking at some fine women on Trick's phone when he pointed out that people on Twitter were saying Melo missed a deadline. Melo said he didn't miss, he just didn't win. And if the match was five minutes longer, he'd have won and achieved all his goals. Trick clowned him a little bit more uh, with a picture of Axiom from the show, Mello kind of like freaking out while Axiom was doing a moonsault. Uh, and Mello wanted the picture deleted because 
he was ready to delete Axiom. Later backstage, Axiom had a really fun segment with Mackenzie Mitchell asking her to read the expressions on his face. Obviously, he's wearing a mask, so she couldn't actually do that. And this match is going to go down next week. I think it's going to be tremendous in the ring. A nice bounce back win for Mello. Both segments here were entertaining from these guys. So I like that Mello's doing this in-between feud. And you know what? I wouldn't hate the idea of him kind of going one by one through all the other challengers in that Iron Survivor match, beating them, and then eventually earning that opportunity against Braun Breaker. To me, that would make a lot of sense from a storytelling standpoint. Wendy Chu got a promo package where she explained her excitement seeing Cora Jade lose the Iron Survivor Challenge because she can't stand people like her. Wendy told the story about being invited to her first ever slumber party as a kid, only to get bullied after she arrived. Wendy explained that Cora made her feel the same way, which is why she refused to put up with her shit. Zoe Stark backstage got angry she was being asked about Nikita Lyons' TikTok reaction to the deadline match. Stark called Lyons a waste of roster space. Initially, she wasn't going to bother fighting her. But now Stark is pissed and wants to beat Lyons down while showcasing her actual talent compared to Nikita's bullshit talent. This actually might have been Zoe's best promo in WWE this far. All facts, clean delivery, came across like a badass, definitely a win for her, way better than that in-ring promo a couple weeks ago. Isla Dawn got a promo package explaining that her black mist is powerful and calling herself the unholy enchantress. They also showed video of her touching the leg of the referee at deadline, which preceded the black goo coming out of his mouth. I completely missed that live. And I said that on the instant analysis where it seemed like she just gave him witchcraft and he started spitting up. But one or two of you actually noted to me that she touched his leg. I still didn't see it. Uh, Here though, it was very clear in the video package she actually touched the guy and that led to that reaction. So it's nice there was a reason for that happening and it wasn't just pure magic, it was a drug. Uh, the promo package was okay, you know, nothing that special. Isla's really gonna get her presence across better in the ring wrestling and winning, not so much just cutting promos. Uh, Wesley was walking into the Performance Center when Stax attacked him from behind at Tony D'Angelo's direction. They brawled out into the arena, leading directly to a non-title match, Wesley against Stax. After some good back and forth action, Lee hit his double backflip kick to the head and got the win. I don't believe that's his new finisher, so it's always great to see someone win with a signature over someone that they should otherwise easily defeat. After the bell, Dijak entered and stood on the ring apron. There was a really nice camera shot of D'Angelo appearing behind Wesley that you could see from Dijak's glasses. D'Angelo attacked the champion from behind and yelled that he did Dijak's job for him before leaving and literally nothing else happened. Dijak just stood there looking around and they cut away. I'm still not there on Dijak. It's been nearly a month now and we all, and all we know about him is that he looks like a 90s villain and believes in quote, hard justice. I mean, that seems like a gimmick straight out of a bad porno. Let's just be honest, right? They got into New Year's Evil to make me feel something or care something about Dijak. Otherwise, I'm going to start using the sound drops on this. Uh, Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley fought Toxic Attraction, the tag team. Uh, Kaden Carter and Katana Chance joined commentary. Nile got thrown into the champions, which led to a DQ as they pulled Toxic out of the ring to fight. Paxley sprung herself over the ropes to splash three women with referees pulling apart the ensuing brawl. Later in the show, they were all shown brawling a second time backstage. The immediate expectation, of course, is a triple threat match. As I've said before, I don't mind the occasional DQ to set up a storyline or a match but at least let the people involved wrestle for five minutes or something before you come to that finish. It's just a constant gripe I have, particularly with WWE since AEW doesn't really do disqualifications. Uh, Andre Chase ran up to Duke Hudson asking what the fuck 
was going on when he saw him talking to Drew Gulak and shaking his hand. I guess he thought that he was entering the transfer portal. Very nice topical call out there. Chase admitted that he was wrong. Hudson was right last week. Thea Hale was not ready to fight Isla Dawn. Hudson enjoyed the admission and clarified he's not transferring because he still has way too much to learn at Chase U. The handshake appeared to be an agreement on a match. We had Hudson against Damon Kemp, who we know that Drew Gulak was going to scout. So Gulak walked out shortly after the bell. Chase threatened him away and he had to go backstage. Hudson did an entire like Hulk Hogan sequence and then hit Kemp with a running boot for the win. Kemp was stunned after the bell. This seemed like far too easy of a victory given the way Kemp has been used beforehand. And Hudson, a running boot, I mean... I don't know what they're doing. Like, like, I like what they're doing with his character. Don't get me wrong. It's the most I've been interested in seeing him on TV in a long time. But his ring work, it's very basic. And I, it seems like they're completely doing it on purpose. But it's not good. <laughs> like, like it's, I don't want someone doing a Hulk Hogan, you know, ear to the crowd to hear them cheer for him, hulking up in the ring, a leg drop, a boot. I, I don't want that in 2022. So I'm just very confused at what they're actually doing with him in the ring. But in terms of everything else, the overall package, that has been working. Electra Lopez told a bunch of the women backstage that she was right about Indy Hartwell being unable to win the big one. Lopez said she'd have won the Iron Survivor Challenge if she was in the match. Out of nowhere, Hartwell booted her in the face off of a director's chair before they got separated by the other women. Obviously, this is going to lead to a match. My hope was that Indy's loss at deadline would be her entree into the main roster. Now it looks like there's going to be at least one more hurdle on her way, but hopefully... Her in the main roster is still the end result sooner than later. This was executed pretty well. Lyra Valkyria fought Amari Miller. Valkyria got a unique entrance with smoke, storm clouds, and rain. Most of it looked good. The graphic overlays were ridiculous. I'm pretty sure those will get changed sooner than later, or at least improved. Uh, Her gear was normal without the feathers, any of the bullshit from the vignette. Miller found some aggression, but Valkyria delivered a ton of kicks, plus a Northern Lights suplex bridge. Miller hit a running senton, but Valkyria came back with a frog splash and got the win. So Aofi Valkyrie, that's who this is. Uh, she's always been extremely talented. She came across great here in her United States debut. The frog splash really feels like an ill-fitting finisher for her character. It was executed well. She used to do the flying leg drop, but because Carmelo Hayes does it, I presume they told her to pick something else. Both, I mean, the flying leg drop that Carmelo Hayes does sucks. I've mentioned that numerous times. Not that he doesn't execute it well, but he is so much better than using that as his finisher. He needs to come up with something better. Not to mention landing on your tailbone that frequently is going to be a career shortener. You gotta come up with a different finisher. So I'm glad that Valkyria now has a different finisher. It's just that the frog splash, well, it's a good move. It doesn't seem to fit her in any way. You know, she's doing this whole thing with feathers. Why not do something that is more adjacent to that instead of a frog I don't know. It just didn't fit for me. So she executed it fine. Uh, I liked her debut. She looked really good in the ring. Good package overall. But I'd pick a different finisher. That would be my suggestion. Odyssey Jones fought Vaughn Wagner. Mr. Stone tried to distract, but Malik Blade and Idris Anofe used an opening to help Odyssey. Anofe went after Stone while Blade dropkicked Wagner on the ring apron. Odyssey then hit a running crossbody for the win. So yes, we did get We did get two big meaty men bumping me, but man, this was a rough match, okay? Wagner works far better with smaller guys. And Odyssey is not only green, but he's just coming back from injury. It was nice to see him get a win. This wasn't a match that was ready for TV. At least that's the way I saw it. Uh, And then lastly here, Mackenzie Mitchell told Javier Bernal backstage she would be rooting for Ikeminjiro 
in their upcoming match on NXT. He tried coming up with names for his fans before accidentally landing on the big body believers. Continued top tier stuff from these two. It's a great give and take that they've got going. And for the lower mid-card type of deal, it's really entertaining. Uh, so Jiro fought Bernal. Jiro caught Bernal with a tope cannonball kick, a big kick on the ropes, a hurricanrana, and a really cool looking like running kick, all for the win. After the bell, Scripps pulled Jiro off the ropes for an attack, hitting his flipping seated senton finisher to end it. This was a legitimate shocker to me. Both Jiro and Bernal are low carders right now, but Bernal is the one who's been getting extensive promo segments. Having him lose here, just, it was shocking, despite the post-match attack. I mean, I, I don't know why you would go with that idea. You could just have him win, leave the ring, Jiro's collecting himself, and then he gets attacked anyway by Scripps. There's no harm in Jiro winning, but it was just confusing. Scripps did have a new mask, which was still bad, but it was simultaneously 10 times better than the first one that we saw on TV. Uh, that one was just an abomination. So Scripps, there's still a lot of work to do with him. And folks, that's really it from this week in NXT. Obviously, the big story was Roxanne Perez winning the NXT Women's Championship. And then, you know, 14 hours later, Mandy Rose getting released by WWE. Just a total shocker. Uh, came out of nowhere, of course. And that is why we decided to jump on and do a very special instant reaction episode. So I hope you all enjoyed it. And if you did, please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about so head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, drop that five-star rating on Apple, take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review, and if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. In terms of what's coming up next here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, we will be back Thursday with our latest AEW episode. We're going to talk Dynamite, Winter is Coming, and of course, Rampage from this past Friday. Plenty to talk about in the world of AEW, so you'll catch that on Thursday. Of course, we will have our next WWE episode this coming Tuesday, where we're going to break down everything that happens across what should be a very eventful SmackDown and a Raw that at least has a championship match on it. So two weeks, uh, two shows, I should say, sorry, of WWE coming up that hopefully are a lot more eventful than the last two weeks of WWE. Perhaps even combined, we are going to talk about all of that on Tuesday. And before the month is out, we will indeed have the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meeting, that special edition show, will come to you before the end of 2022. And Chris Benini, Vince Chris Benini, and I are also working on one additional special episode before the year is out. Thank you all once again for listening to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.